Good morning, Ooses, and welcome to the second episode of Not Your Mama Soap Opera Act 2, Wrestling Renaissance Limited, where sports entertainment is a lifestyle. As always, I'm your host, DFDC, and if you want to follow me, you can do so at Long Island 1892 on Twitter. That's L-O-N-G-I-S-L-A-N-D-1892. The response that we have received from the first episode has really been overwhelming and really profound and I wanted to just then extend my thank you and my appreciation to everybody who gave that episode a listen. If you want to go back and give it a listen, you absolutely can wherever you get your podcast. And it makes me really excited to continue this conversation about sports entertainment, a form of entertainment in professional wrestling that we all find so enjoyable and connects us all, even if we have such differing opinions and even if the IWC is such a toxic community, we all are part of that community. And I think that it really falls on all of us to play our part in making that community a more positive place. And that's, again, one of the you know mission statements, if you will, of Not Your Mama Soap Opera Act 2 is that I want to make the wrestling fandom a more enjoyable fandom to be a part of. One way that I've done that is by joining the Major Wrestling Figure Podcast Patreon group. And in doing so, as a proud Hard Foundation member, I not only am involved in their private Facebook group that they have going on in just a wonderful community, but I get access to really cool and unique opportunities. And one of those that I'm really excited to attend was I was able to secure a ticket to Live 6, the return of the live show. For those of you who don't know, Matt Cardona and Brian Myers, along with Smart Mark Sterling, have been putting on live shows since the inception of the Major Wrestling Figure podcast. There was supposed to be one in Tampa, which got moved to YouTube thanks to our friend COVID-19, but the return of the live show is eminent on November 6th. It'll be down in Baltimore. Tickets are already NWO sold out, but I'm so excited to be able to go there and interact with other major marks as well as the major brothers, obviously in a socially distant and safe environment, and it's just going to be really cool. It'll be my first show since going to Extreme Rules back in March. So I'm really excited. It's not really a show per se. There's no matches per se, but it's just an event. It's something to get excited about. Before I forget and we jump into the extremely eventful week of wrestling that it always seems to be, everybody should really turn in and tune in to NXT UK. I know that the United Kingdom and Ireland might be going down into another lockdown soon, so I'm not sure how many more episodes have been taped and how many episodes will debut. But when you can, don't sleep on that brand. It is an amazing brand. Obviously, it was shaken up not only by the pandemic, but by the speaking out movement. And, you know, our hearts go out to everybody who was a victim and did uh, speak out. And our thoughts are with you. Um, But the NXT UK brand, I really think, is a diamonds in the rough of the WWE and one of their, you know, opportunities that they connect with fans and the British experience of wrestling. And maybe I'm a little biased is truly uh, amazing storytelling, especially with their women's division and everything that they have going on over on NXT 
UK. Now that the WWE draft is behind us, we had our first week of season premieres in the WWE, both on SmackDown and on Raw with a very eventful NXT and on the other side of things in AEW as well. Notably, the October 19th, 2020 episode of Monday Night Raw was the go-home show to Hell in a Cell taking place this Sunday, which I'm really excited for. I've always been a big fan of Hell in a Cell. One of my earliest wrestling memories is Mick Foley on top of that cage with Undertaker. And it's really cool that after all these years that there still is that, you know, lore about the Hell in a Cell. Um, And even, you know, in more recent moments, I loved Becky's match with Sasha Banks and Hell in a Cell. I vividly remember Randy Orton's and Jeff Hardy's bout with the screwdriver in the ear and just those moments that WWE is able to create even in recent memories. Um, I do also remember being really fond of the Roman Reigns, Braun Strowman, and Brock Lesnar match that happened at Hell in a Cell. And I'm really excited to see how Hell in a Cell is adapted for the pandemic. I know we saw, you know, references to it and the example of it um, on Monday Night Raw, but I think it's going to be really exciting. I, for one, have been really enjoying the Thunderdome, and I think... The use of Hell in a Cell in a Thunderdome appearance will not only add to the ambiance, but in many regards, it might make the cell look even bigger, being that there is not the sea of an audience behind and around the ring. And it wouldn't be fair to mention Hell in a Cell without mentioning that Halloween Havoc is also taking place. While Halloween Havoc is taking place on the 28th, I think it's really exciting how we have back-to-back pay-per-view quality episodes. I have really been enjoying the special edition episodes of NXT, like In Your House and now Halloween Havoc, bringing that nostalgia back, but with their quote-unquote developmental brand, which I would argue is a third brand, especially when you see the likes of superstars like Rhea Ripley not being called up even post the WWE draft. So I think as a third brand, it's really cool that they're able to have this plethora of talent with these old and nostalgic traditions being incorporated in a new way. You know, we saw this before the pandemic with war games. We're seeing it in your house and now with Halloween Havoc on the 28th of October. So we are absolutely looking forward to that as well. Going back to SmackDown for a minute, we've seen a lot of interesting things on this season premiere, and it started off with the return of Lars the Freak. And my feelings towards Lars are perplexing. Him as a wrestler, I don't really enjoy. I do, however, think his basic action figure is one of the better action figures. I think that it really encapsulates, you know, a bad guy wrestler really well. So, I mean, if you're into basics, I know not everyone is, but check out the Lars one. It's a sleeper figure, in my opinion. And while initially I was rather annoyed that Jeff Hardy put him over, I was relieved to see Jeff Hardy's involvement with Elias on Monday Night Raw. Getting back to Lars, though, especially with the most recent allegations that have come out about Lars Sullivan, you know, it makes it that much more difficult to root for him. I think very similarly, I see myself 
with the case of Velveteen Dream also. Now, it's different in the sense that I was a big fan of Velveteen Dream and I'm not a big fan of Lars Sullivan, but the end result is the same. You just get a bad taste in your mouth. One aspect of both season premieres that I think was so innovative was the use of cameos in the Thunderdome from the likes of WWE legends like Ric Flair and others. It really created more to the benefits of the Thunderdome because now, even if a superstar is halfway across the world, even if they're in a different time zone, even if they're not in any sense affiliated with the WWE anymore, WWE as an olive branch to include them in the show, especially when you consider the older superstars like Ric Flair, who arguably are immunocompromised. I'll say it once, and I'll say it again. Braun Strowman is only interesting to me when he is a foil to Roman Reigns, and SmackDown was no exception. I loved that Roman Reigns continued to don his new look. I'm excited to see the progression of the character, and I love the moveset as well. I also love the anti-out by Jey Uso interfering with the steel chair. I think that only adds to the story and also the notion of their family. So they can go a little harder with each other. They're not afraid to push each other to the limits because they grew up together. And I think that's something that's really you know, great to see. I personally am a big fan of Mafia movies and mafia shows like The Godfather and The Soprano and even more so to brotherhood type shows like you see in Sons of Anarchy. And to see that kind of, you know, group mentality of, you know, providing for the family and what the family means and accepting Roman as the tribal chief, I really just think is WWE's top notch storytelling. And it really perplexes me why it's taken WWE writers so long to hit this nail on the head and seemingly produce three great shows. You know, I'm just confused. Why are there there's so much ebb and flow between the storytelling and the entertainment side of the WWE? But I'm not complaining. I will take this Roman Reigns show up and win, wreck everyone and leave Tribal Chief any day of the week. You could believe that. It was so refreshing to see Daniel Bryan make his debut in the Thunderdome. And the tease that us as the audience have of Seth Rollins and Daniel Bryan in the ring together was this, you know, it's this tillizing, you know, this, you know, salivating, you know, moment for wrestling fans. And when you're seeing Tyler Black and Bryan Danielson together in the ring and former ROH champions ready to go for it, whether it's the American Dragon and the Architect, really seeing this new incarnation of both of them and their evolutions, both as the Monday Night Messiah and the Eco Champ clash heads again. And for me, I apologize if this is redundant, but Daniel Bryan is my ultimate superhero in the WWE. He is my ultimate encapsulation of what it means to be an underdog. I relate incredibly much to the journey and the story arc that Daniel Bryan went on from when he went from B-plus player to undisputed WWE World Heavyweight Champion at WrestleMania 30. If you don't know that story, and everyone knows that story, if you haven't seen the monster um, promo from WrestleMania 30, pause this right now and go do it. You're not going to be disappointed. Um, you know, there's been so much um, positive influence of the Yes movement in my life. And anytime I see Daniel Bryan in any capacity, it I'm instantly just happy. 
And this is no exception. You know, I really cannot wait to see the role that Daniel Bryan's going to take. He is such a wealth of knowledge and an all-around encapsulating WWE superstar and professional wrestler. From his in-ring ability to his ability on the mic, he's everything you'd want and so much more than a B-plus player. And, you know, I think that was cemented not only at WrestleMania 30, but in his match with Kofi Kingston at WrestleMania 35 when he returned as WWE champion. It was a full story. He went in to New Orleans chasing that championship. He went into New York defending that champion. And in five years, that story had so many peaks and valleys of him potentially retiring and losing his career to not only coming back, but being WWE champion and being the person to be there in the match with Kofi Kingston in one of the most amazing ceremonious moments of Kofi Kingston becoming the WWE champion at MetLife Stadium. And on another level, though, the thematic teases of Seth Rollins, this Monday night manufactured messiah, going up against the eco champion. It's almost as like Daniel Bryan is actually the messiah and Seth Rollins is this false prophet. And we're seeing how that's being challenged because they both kind of taken on that cult leader, you know, more or less in new directions. And it had me really thinking about another show I've been watching, The Vow, a docuseries about ESP Nexium on HBO. If you haven't checked that out, it's on HBO. It's on HBO Max. Very, very interesting. Um, the actress who played young Baru uh, in Star Wars was heavily featured in it. Um, she's a victim of it. And it's a really provocative story. But it you know, centers around this idea of gurus and, you know, the prison of belief that people who follow gurus could be in and the abuse that can ensue in that. And it's just so remarkable to me to see, you know, this new version of Seth Rollins that we know has been established as this Monday Night Messiah, but this returning Daniel Bryan. And he even said in his interaction with him before they, you know, had a few, you know, punches in there was that was an awkward silence because, to me, it struck me as a moment that Daniel Bryan was reflecting on his time prior to coming back to the Thunderdome, prior to the pandemic, when he was that underdog, when he was that eco-champion against now Seth Rollins. And it's incredible to see the two of them in this position, and it makes me excited to see their future interactions together. Without a doubt, though, the moment of SmackDown that I think stole the hearts and captured the hearts and minds of everybody was the farewell, thank you, New Day celebration. And particularly when Xavier Woods was speaking, that really tugged at my heartstrings when he was saying, you know, they took a chance on, you know, it might not have went anywhere. You know, he was, you know, new, you know, he they didn't have to accept him and he found his best friends in his life because of that. And for the past six years, you know, they were able to cultivate not only a tag team, not only a brand, but a family together. And I've long said I've been a big supporter of the New Day. I distinctively remember uh, chanting New Day rocks in the garden before they were, you know, unicorns and bright colors when they were more of the, you know, positive uh, personal growth New Day. And um, it's been really incredible to see them 
grow. Even now, I'm wearing probably my most favorite or at least worn uh, piece of WWE shop merch, and it's a New Day hoodie from their early run. But it has thumb holes and it has a unicorn on the hood and it has, you know, just out there wacky New Day stuff. And it's just, you know, I look at it now, I'm like, this is a collector's item. And while I'm so excited to see the path that Big E goes on, I still am tremendously moved by everything the New Day has done together and don't really want to say goodbye to the New Day as we know it. And just as the New Day has become such a household name, Sasha and Bailey have as well, and particularly their match at NXT TakeOver Brooklyn, they have cemented themselves in the history books of professional wrestling, and we have an opportunity to witness history being made again at Hell in a Cell when Bailey, the former hugger, finds herself against her former best friend, the legit boss in Hell in a Cell. And we know what Sasha Banks is capable of in Hell in a Cell, whether it's the first Hell in a Cell match with Charlotte that she was a part of, or even the match that we saw last year against the man, Becky Lynch, which really stole the show for so many different reasons. Uh, we all remember that pay-per-view for the weird and bizarre ending of the match between Seth Rollins and The Fiends. But one of the silver linings of that strange pay-per-view was definitely Sasha Banks and Becky Lynch in Hell in a Cell. So we know what Sasha Banks is going to bring. And I'd be really cool to see how the story progresses. People have been clamoring and waiting for Bailey versus Sasha too. And we're finally seeing it not only in a match, but in Hell in a Cell. So you know that Bailey and Sasha are going to give it everything they got. And I'm so excited to see how these storytellers are able to to advance that narrative together stuck inside hell in a cell. I was so excited this week because I was able to successfully find the Ultimate Warrior and Eddie Guerrero WWE Legends figures. And I have to tell you, this Ultimate Warrior figure is beyond exceptional. It is a recreation of his final night on Raw, which just so happens to be his final really day on earth. He passed away a few hours after Monday Night Raw and they recreated the Ultimate Warrior perfectly. It was such a momentous time that he came back to the WWE. He patched things up with Vince McMahon, which people thought were never going to happen. He's honored at WrestleMania. He's honored at Monday Night Raw. He gives this emphatic, you know, sympathetic this amazingly inspiring and optimistic speech just to pass away the night after or rather the night of and it's as though you know he had to he needed to do this he needed that catharsis he needed that reconnection before his warrior spirit was able to go on to the great plane beyond and for many reasons i had to get this figure and it was such an arduous process trying to hunt this down. I wound up going, I think, to eight targets, and I only saw even hints of this series of figures in two of them. Luckily, I kind of did some deductive reasoning, and I said, well, all right, what's the next target? Once I saw that there was hints and evidence of that series being there, I said, what's the closest target that the same delivery would have gone to next? And that being said, by the luck of the figure gods, I ran down the aisle. They had one Ultimate Warrior left. 
They had a couple Eddies, and I grabbed one for myself, left everything else for the other collectors, but I was so unbelievably relieved. If you are from Long Island, you know just how many action figure collectors and more so scalpers and resellers there are who stalk the aisles of these big box stores that really have no business selling toys, but that's a conversation for another podcast. If you want to see pictures of that Ultimate Warrior and Eddie Guerrero, I did post it on my Twitter at Long Island's 1892. As controversial as this might be, I really enjoyed Monday Night Raw, and I was really refreshed to see that things are going in the right direction. I think how they kicked off the episode in particular was amazing. Not only do you have the new partnership of Alexa Bliss and Bray Wyatt the Fiends to open the show, but you have Retribution interrupting them. And there's so many aspects of both of these acts that really make it an amazing source of entertainment, particularly for me. Aside from the Beauty and the Beast comparison that Alexa and Bray are already receiving, they also have a Harley Quinn and Joker type relationship. It's very interesting, and it's really shown in the Firefly Funhouse episode that Alexa Bliss was introduced as a new character on the Firefly Funhouse. And we've seen other superstars go to the Firefly Funhouse, but never in an adversarial ally role. So it's really cool to see Alexa Bliss kind of tap into her darker side and her love for horror and darker things paired with Bray Wyatt and the supernatural persona of the fiends. And it's really cool to see. I've always been a great uh, supporter of intergender wrestling and really loved the mix match challenge that WWE put on. And I would love to see others um, across the WWE universe pair up similarly how Bray Wyatt and Alexa have. And, you know, I think it's just so cool to see. I loved the Freddy Krueger inspired gear that Alexa was re-wearing. Um, you know, The Fiend is mesmerizing. He, you know, he's straight out of a horror movie and that's all year, not just during Halloween when you have Hell in a Cell coming up. So I just think it's so cool. It's so remarkable. And they come face-to-face with retribution. So now it makes you question, okay, who's the good guy? Who's the bad guy? Because someone like me, I hear Ali's promo that he gave later in the night, and I'm rooting for Ali. I'm rooting for retribution. I want to see them be able to make money off of someone with the name Mustafa Ali, as he quoted in that promo. But not only that, Mustafa Ali admitted to being the hacker on SmackDown. Finally, we are seeing examples of long-term storytelling that so many people are critical of the WWE of not doing. This is an example of it. Finally, we get the reveal of who that hacker was, and it was Ali. Not only was it Ali who was the hacker, but in the role of retribution that Ali is serving, he is so mesmerizing. He is so much of a person that you can get behind and you want to believe and you want to fight with. And he inspires you similarly almost to how a Negan did in The Walking Dead to really want to, you know, take a charge of your own destiny and get some due retribution. 
I'm sitting over here clamoring for Retribution merch. I was so happy that they finally debuted a Retribution logo, and I love how it kind of almost looks like a tethered American flag, and I think that goes to the experience of what a lot of Americans are going to, and even plays into Mustafa Ali's shoot backstory of him being a Chicago police officer. And growing up as a Muslim American in the United States, I think that Mustafa Ali's story, similar to Daniel Bryan's, similar to Kofi Kingston, is an underdog, but with a new lens on it. And his role in Retribution, along with all the others, is really exciting to me. You know, it it occurred to me while I was watching, especially when you have T-Bar and you have Slapjack and you have all these unique characters. And then, which that picture that Ali posted after Monday Night Raw, they really look like Slipknot. With their mask and concealing their identities and becoming almost otherworldly, similarly to Bane as well. But I thought more so Slipknot, especially when you look at Slapjack's mask. But they become this another version of that hardcore, heavy metal, heavy rock band that you're going to hear them whether you want to or not. They're going to create chaos. And so much that's what Ali said, that his power is not the strength in numbers like the Hurt Business and The Fiend try to expose in Monday Night Raw, but his power is creating chaos. And I can't wait to see the chaos that they evoke. I can't wait to get Retribution merchandise already. Which, again, going with that kind of horror Halloween vibe, I almost got like a Freddy versus Jason uh, vibe when Retribution and The Fiend were in the ring together. It really occurs to me that these are both monster-type, you know, entities that are beyond the belt. They don't need to argue over the belt because they're arguing over their philosophy and over their will and over their might and their envisionment that they have for the WWE universe, both inside the Thunderdome and out. And this passion was continued and exemplified in Drew McIntyre's promo before he faces off Randy Orton at Hell in a Cell. You know, and Drew said that, you know, it doesn't matter what Hell in a Cell is because his life has been more hell and he's experienced more hell than Randy Orton ever will. Being a multi-generational superstar, getting have anything that he wanted to do just because his dad was Bob Orton. Randy Orton might be a legend killer. But these promos and these matches and the weight uh, that Drew McIntyre is putting on his shoulders, particularly during this pandemic and during the coronavirus era, is showing you why Drew McIntyre is legendary. It's validating everything that Vince McMahon said when he said he was the chosen one and a future WWE champion. He is now a WWE champion and putting the entire WWE on his shoulders and has been. I cannot wait to see the pain that they inflict to one another in Hell in a Cell. We all know Drew McIntyre's record since coming back to the WWE. He has been phenomenal. And I think it will continue to be phenomenal because I don't think Randy needs another belt. At least, I don't think he needs to take it off Drew. Let him go, you know, do something else. Everybody was annoyed last time Randy took the belt off Bray. Why does he have to do it again to Drew? He has to No, he shouldn't do that. He should do something else. And I think he will. You know, I think, you know, Randy is doing exceptional work. We've seen the work that he's done with Edge and continued throughout this year. And I think this will be another example of the class act that Randy Orton is. And we saw, you know, how appreciative Randy Orton is of his position in the post that he made when referencing Eddie Guerrero and about the legacy that Eddie had. And you really, you know, appreciate that. And then you remember 
how much of a professional that everybody in the WWE is. So I guess you could say for the first time in a long time, I thoroughly enjoyed Raw. And that's even with Matt Riddle really making a fool out of himself with AJ Styles. We saw AJ Styles' new heater, which is very similar to Chris Jericho for as a little throwback. And it's cool to see AJ Styles in this role. Um, you know, I would really love to see AJ Styles get another bat with the belt. I would love to see a program with him and Drew McIntyre. I think even though there is that size discrepancy, I think that could be a really phenomenal feud that the two of them would go on, especially given both of their various roles in TNA and Impact, whether as Drew Galloway or as the innovator of AJ Styles. You know, I'm really interesting to see the storylines that now can be told given the results of the WWE draft and new superstars going to Raw and SmackDown, and vice versa. NXT on Wednesday night did not disappoint either. NXT, I think, continues to be the land of opportunity. For me, a superstar that continues to impress me and certainly did on this past episode of NXT is Damian Priest. You know, not only does his overall size and physique and, you know, really lends a lot to his character, he reminds me a lot of Lobo from DC, kind of like a biker, um, you know, rocker, you know, of the universe, you know, cruising around and inflicting pain on Superman and the likes of the other heroes. And it's really cool to see um, all the different ways that Damian Priest is being used. And you're seeing that really in any role in NXT, Damian Priest can excel and deliver. And that's one of the many reasons why I'm so impressed with Damian Priest. And I really can't wait to get a Damian Priest action figure for a little bit of wrestling figure talk again. Speaking of which, though, Candice LeRae is another figure that I'm itchy for, and I love the work that she is doing with Johnny Gargano, even so much to their gear matching. It reminds me of what the Canalises were trying to achieve, and unfortunately, we're not able to see that much success, both on 205 Live and on the main roster. But this heel version of the Gargano and... Candice LeRae, you know, real life married couple of teaming together in the ring is so cool to see. And I'm just really excited to see their continued growth. I personally prefer Johnny Gargano as a face. I think he lends himself to a face, especially the superstars that have that connection to being a fan when they were kids, I think lend itself really to be faces. Um, we've seen this, you know, in Bailey, in Sasha, uh, in Gargano, and Adam Cole, um, and even so much in Finn and a lot of others as well, many others. I mean, Kevin Owens taught himself English by watching wrestling. That shows you how much, you know, wrestling has been in these lives of all these superstars. And it's just so cool. And that's one of the passion behind the brand is one of the reasons that I love professional wrestling and the pride that you have in being a professional wrestling fan. And for the roster members, the pride in being a professional wrestler. It is an honor to be a sports entertainer, to be a performance fighter, to be a superstar, whatever you want to call it. It's an honor and it's a privilege, which is another reason why I love NXT, because all the superstars on NXT realize that. You know, that was a great thing in seeing Austin Theory lose. I think he needed that loss. And seeing Johnny Gargano, you know, almost teach him a lesson about that respect was great to see. And similarly, too, with Rhea Ripley not being moved up, it reestablishes that the NXT is a third brand and not a developmental brand. Furthermore, with Tony Storm's involvement in NXT, it shows her dedication to want to do right by the black and gold. And I'm all here for it. And as we close out the show, 
still arguably my favorite wrestling show of the week is AEW. And this past week was no exception. Particularly, I love the story with Chris Jericho and MJF, which will result in them getting a steak dinner. Whether this is a temporary heel alliance or whether this is really um, MJF joining the inner circle. You know, I, I love to see MJF interact with legends and people who are above him in the card because they really put him in his place. Um, MJF, the gimmick that he plays of the FLID, you could look up what that means, but the FLID that he plays is something that really gets under my skin. So I give all the credit to MJF and just doing an exceptional job of, you know, being that narcissistic, uh, you know, vain Long Islander that we all love to hate. And I can just wait for like the memes and the a little bit of the bubbly that's going to come out when they get staked together. You know, you can just, I don't know, you know, with the creative mind of Chris Jericho and the willingness of MJF to really do whatever he's told, I cannot wait to see the storytelling and the comedy that, you know, one of the legends and best of all time in Chris Jericho is able to create with this new and up and coming star in MJF. But I'm not going to lie, though. Seeing Blonde Cody again was not my favorite. I really enjoyed that darker side of Cody. I love that he won the belt back. I think that, you know, especially being, like I said last week, being that he's not going for the AEW championship, it is really important that Cody Rhodes, you know, does have a belt that he can contend for. And if he's, you know, serious about that, the TNT championship is one that he should absolutely use, like John Cena used as sort of an open challenge. His match with Iron Cassidy was terrific. And while the draw at the end was extremely old school, it worked for me because it showed that the story can be continued. They realized that, you know, people are invested in Orange and they're invested in Cody. And why not let them continue the story in a traditional way? You know, it goes back to that saying, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. As AEW continues to build towards full gear taking place the first weekend in November, I'm so excited to see, you know, the stories and the matches that they untold. Um, while their last uh, pay-per-view left a lot to be desired, you know, we've seen in their week-to-week television since then that they've taken note and they're really, you know, putting a lot of effort in. And I hope to see that continued in full gear in a few weeks. Then with that, it brings us to the end of our episode. What have you thought of wrestling this week? Has there anything that stood out to you? What do you want to really see become done? You know, I think that's the greatest thing about wrestling is even now as I'm closing the episode, I forgot to mention that I love how Rowan Reigns is almost really personifying The Rock and his Maui character from Moana. What can I say except... You're welcome. He is your tribal chief. Accept him. Um, you know, I think that's great. And we're uh, hopefully as it does, you know, commemorate in that rock and Roman story at 37. We'll see. Time will tell. And that's why I love professional wrestling, particularly in the fall. Um, you know, when the storylines get going, we're building towards Survivor Series and the Royal Rumble. And obviously this year it might be a little different if we're still in this lockdown and pandemic, but I'm so excited to see where it's going to go. And for the future of Not Your Mama's Soap Opera Act 2, Wrestling Renaissance Limited, where sports entertainment is a lifestyle.
I hope you've all enjoyed this episode, Ooses. And if you want to connect with me, you can do so on Twitter at Long Island 1892. That's L O N G I S L A N D 1892. Cannot wait to see you next week for the third episode of Not Your Mama Soap Opera Act 2 Wrestling Renaissance Limited, where sports entertainment is a lifestyle. I'm your host, DFDC. Night, everyone. You have been listening to Not Your Mama's Soap Opera Act 2, Wrestling Renaissance Limited, where sports entertainment is a lifestyle. Hosted by DFDC.